0: Wilkins v. United States, on writ of certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. Decided March 28, 2023. Justice Thomas, with whom the Chief Justice and Justice Alito join. Dissenting The doctrine of sovereign immunity bars suits against the United States. But in the Quiet Title Act of 1972, Congress waived this immunity and consented to suits against the United States in order to determine the status of disputed property. Congress conditioned this consent on, among other things, a 12-year statute of limitations. Any civil action under this section except for an action brought by a state shall be barred unless it is commenced within twelve years of the date upon which it accrued. This Court has long construed such conditions on waivers of sovereign immunity as jurisdictional, and it has acknowledged the jurisdictional nature of the Quiet Title Act's statute of limitations in several precedents. In holding that section 2409A.G., is not jurisdictional, the majority commits two critical errors. First, it applies the same interpretive approach to a condition on a waiver of sovereign immunity that it would apply to any run-of-the-mill procedural rule. Second, by reading the Court's prior Quiet Title Act precedents in this way, the court disregards their express recognition of the jurisdictional character of the act's time bar. Accordingly, I respectfully dissent. Part 1 This court's skepticism of the jurisdictional character of procedural bars does not extend to conditions on a waiver of sovereign immunity. In the context of a waiver of sovereign immunity, the court presumes that procedural limitations are jurisdictional. The act's time bar is one such provision, and as such, this court should interpret it as a jurisdictional bar to suit. As a sovereign, The United States is immune from suit, save as it consents to be sued. And the terms of its consent to be sued in any court define that court's jurisdiction to entertain the suit. Consequently, sovereign immunity is by nature jurisdictional. This principle is long-standing, and the majority does not dispute it. A necessary corollary of this rule, however, is that when Congress attaches conditions to legislation waiving the sovereign immunity of the United States, those conditions must be strictly observed, and exceptions thereto are not to be lightly implied. Thus, in many cases, this Court has read procedural rules embodied in statutes waiving immunity strictly, with an eye to effectuating a restrictive legislative purpose when Congress relinquishes sovereign immunity. In United States v. Dolm, the court reaffirmed this settled principle in the specific context of a statute of limitations requiring that a suit against the government be brought within a certain time period. Such a requirement, the court explained, is one of the terms of the United States' consent to be sued and therefore defines the court's jurisdiction to entertain the suit. Those straightforward principles resolve this case. The Quiet Title Act partially waives the immunity of the United States by granting federal district courts exclusive original jurisdiction of civil actions under Section 2409A, to quiet title to an estate or interest in real property in which an interest is claimed by the United States. This provision's cross-reference to Section 2409A incorporates several conditions on this waiver. For example, the Act specifies that the United States shall not be disturbed in possession or control of contested land, pending a final judgment or decree, the conclusion of any appeal therefrom, and 60 days, and if the final determination is adverse, the United States shall have the right to purchase the land for just compensation. Similarly, the Act provides that any civil action against the United States under this section shall be tried by the Court without a jury, and bars suits based on Adverse Possession. It also incorporates the time bar at issue here. Any civil action under this section, except for an action brought by a state, shall be barred unless it is commenced within twelve years of the date upon which it accrued. Such action shall be deemed to have accrued on the date the plaintiff or his predecessor in interest knew or should have known of the claim of the United States. These provisions carefully delineate the scope of the Act's limited waiver of sovereign immunity, establishing conditions on which the United States has consented to be sued. The United States has not, for example, consented to a jury trial or to be sued on an adverse possession theory. Similarly, and just as critically, It has not consented to be sued, except by a state, once the 12-year statute of limitations has passed. The majority acknowledges that these restrictions must be strictly construed, yet it concludes that the time bar should not be considered jurisdictional. In another context, the majority's conclusion is arguably plausible, but in this context, it is simply incorrect. As a condition on the United States Limited Waiver of Sovereign Immunity in the Quiet Title Act, the Act's statute of limitations is jurisdictional. Moreover, in light of this Court's long-standing case law, the jurisdictional character of the time bar would have been well understood by the 1972 Congress. With no answer to the Court's long-standing view that conditions on waivers of sovereign immunity are jurisdictional, the majority seeks refuge in Irwin v. Department of Veterans Affairs, 1990. Irwin considered whether equitable tolling should apply to the time to file an employment discrimination lawsuit against the government under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. There, the court reasoned that time requirements in lawsuits between private litigants are customarily subject to equitable tolling. And that once Congress has made a waiver of sovereign immunity, making the rule of equitable tolling applicable to suits against the government, in the same way that it is applicable to private suits, amounts to little, if any, broadening of the Congressional waiver. It thus concluded that such a principle is likely to be a realistic assessment of legislative intent, as well as a practically useful principle of interpretation. The majority suggests that Irwin stands for the proposition that a condition on a waiver of sovereign immunity must be strictly construed, but then goes on to argue that it is not necessarily jurisdictional. However, our decision in United States v. Williams, 1995, decided five years after Irwin, demonstrates that statutes of limitations in suits brought against the United States are no less jurisdictional now than they were before Irwin. In Williams, the court decided Dahlm's holding that failure to file a claim against the government for a federal tax refund within the statute of limitations period operates as a jurisdictional bar to suit, and the court reaffirmed that statute of limitations narrows the waiver of sovereign immunity Irwin, thus, does not disrupt this Court's long-held understanding that conditions on waivers of sovereign immunity are presumptively jurisdictional. Part 2 Regardless of whether conditions on waivers of sovereign immunity remain jurisdictional post-Irwin, we have said that where the Court has offered a definitive earlier interpretation of a statutory time bar as jurisdictional. We will continue to treat it as jurisdictional unless and until Congress directs otherwise. And we have emphasized that Irwin does not imply revisiting past precedents. The John R. Sand standard is amply met here. This court concluded in Block v. North Dakota XREL, Board of University and School Lands, 1983, and again in United States v. Mates, 1986, that compliance with the Quiet Title Act's 12-year time bar is a jurisdictional prerequisite. Block considered whether the Act's statute of limitations applied to state litigants. There, the government had argued that the plaintiff's failure to sue within the 12-year deadline established by the statute meant that the district court lacked jurisdiction to consider the plaintiff's claims. In assessing this argument, the court made clear that it understood the Act's statute of limitations to arise in the context of a waiver of sovereign immunity, discussing at some length the trade-offs proposed as Congress deliberated over the scope of the Act. The court also prominently invoked Sherwood and Lehman cases discussing the jurisdictional nature of sovereign immunity waivers to explain why the limitations provision must be strictly observed. After concluding that states were not exempt from the time bar, the court stated that if North Dakota's suit is barred by the statute of limitations, the courts below had no jurisdiction to inquire into the merits and it remanded for the lower courts to determine whether the suit was so barred. This statement, that the time bar went to jurisdiction, was an integral part of the court's instructions on remand. Moreover, on remand, the Eighth Circuit understood the court to have used the term jurisdiction to refer to a court's authority to hear the case. In Mataz, three years after Block the court again considered the jurisdictional nature of the act's time-bar. In the lower courts, the government initially defended against a somewhat opaque set of claims by relying on the general six-year statute of limitations for actions against the United States. The district court held that the suit was time-barred under Section 2401A, but the Eighth Circuit reversed and remanded. The government then argued for the first time in its petition for rehearing in the Court of Appeals that the suit arose under the Quiet Title Act and was thus subject to the Act's 12-year statute of limitations. This court granted certiorari to consider whether the respondent's claim was barred under either the 6-year bar or the 12-year bar. In addressing these, The court cited Sherwood for the proposition that, when the United States consents to be sued, the terms of its waiver of sovereign immunity define the extent of the court's jurisdiction. It then quoted Block for the proposition that when waiver legislation contains a statute of limitations, the limitations provision constitutes a condition on the waiver of sovereign immunity treating Block as precedential on this point. The court also characterized the statute of limitations as a central condition of the consent given by the act. As in Bloch, this reasoning was a critical and substantial part of the court's opinion. The court ultimately concluded that the plaintiff's claim was untimely and thus barred under the act. The court further concluded that no other statute conferred jurisdiction on the lower courts to adjudicate her claim. In deciding the case, the court noticeably did not engage in a forfeiture analysis, underscoring that it understood the government's late-raised statute of limitations argument to be jurisdictional and thus capable of being raised at any point in the proceedings. United States v. Beggarley 1998, on which the majority relies, is not to the contrary. In that case, the court considered whether the Quiet Title Act's time bar may be equitably told. After noting that the Court of Appeals had considered the statute of limitations jurisdictional, the court turned to the language of the act. The court emphasized that the 12-year statute of limitations began to accrue when the litigants knew or should have known of the claim of the United States, and it observed that the provisions text has already effectively allowed for equitable tolling. Given this fact and the unusually generous nature of the act's limitations time period, the court concluded that extension of the statutory period by additional equitable tolling would be unwarranted. Thus while Beggerly might be read to view the Ax time bar as potentially susceptible to tolling, and thus, by inference, non-jurisdictional, the court did not hold that the bar actually could be tolled. Rather, the court held the opposite. Beggerly is therefore, at best, ambiguous with respect to the jurisdictional nature of the time bar. As such, it does not overcome the court's Clear prior view set out in both Block and Mataz. For the majority, the court's statements in Block and Mataz are not definitive enough to satisfy John R. Sand. But the import of the court's references to jurisdiction in Block and Mataz would have been clear at the time. A court in the 1980s discussing a provision of a statute as a waiver of sovereign immunity, citing Sherwood and later Block, invoked a well-known set of ideas that readers at the time unmistakably associated with the concept of jurisdiction. In fact, the court in Dalm cited Block and Mataz and no other cases for the proposition that conditions on waivers of sovereign immunity define the court's jurisdiction to entertain the suit. The Quiet Title Act's statute of limitations functions as a condition on a waiver of sovereign immunity, and is therefore jurisdictional. This court has repeatedly characterized the Act's time bar as jurisdictional, and that interpretation remains authoritative under John R. Sand. Accordingly, I respectfully dissent. (laughs) We've come to the end of the opinion. Until next episode, thanks for listening to What SCOTUS Wrote Us.